The following sermon is from Pastor Mac Roller at Glen Meadows Baptist Church in San Angelo, Texas. Acts chapter 3 is an incredible passage of Scripture. The whole chapter is unbelievable. And it talks specifically about a door to walk through. And we've all walked through doors in life and meaning metaphorically and even literally. There have been doors that you've opened that you wish you hadn't. You didn't want to see what you saw. There are some doors you've opened that have been incredible. I remember back 37 years ago, I walked through a door and ended up seeing a girl and knew she lived in another state, knew I would never see her again. And after talking to her maybe 15 minutes, she got in the car and she left with her boyfriend. And I said, God, I want my wife to be just like her. Well, the next night she was in the same room again, drove back down. She didn't have that bozo boyfriend with her. And so then she chased me down and I had to marry her. So that's the way it works. That's my wife. So that's a door I'm glad I walked through. There's other doors that aren't so good. And I have a son that he was being really mean to his little brother and he would hide under his bed. And when his little brother would come to sleep and the lights would go out, he'd start moaning and reach around the side and scaring him to death. So I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll teach that boy a lesson. So he, I got in his closet late at night in his bedroom while he was brushing his teeth. And then he bebops. He's a pretty loud kid. He's a kid that's either in overdrive or park. You know what I mean? Just so when he went to park in bed, it was night. And I got down real low and I started scratching the bottom of his door in his closet. And he got really quiet. And then he says, Mom. So then I hope I did it again. I started scratching on the door. And I don't know why he did this, but he got out of bed and he walked over to the closet and he opened the door. And I jumped out, he goes flying back, falls on his bed screaming, probably wet the bed before he even went to sleep. And that was, that was a door he wished he hadn't opened. How about you? You've been, wish you could shut some doors that you did open, that you shouldn't have opened. Opportunities, or you missed opportunities, doors you should have opened that you didn't. And more than likely, you've opened a lot of door, doors that have been incredibly joyful and has been a benefit to your life. But I want to talk about a door that's very, very significant in your life. And it's a door that's misunderstood. It's a door that we've passed by many, many times. And some people, actually, you have ran from this door. You've caught a glimpse of it and you went the other way. And what we're talking about is a door of repentance. The door of repentance. We want to look in the scripture of what repentance does for us if we're so bold to take that handle, open it up, and go on the other side because it is fantastic. So what we read here is in verse 19, therefore repent of chapter 3 Acts, therefore repent and turn back that your sins may be wiped out and seasons of refreshing would come upon you. So he's writing to a group of people who just saw an incredible miracle. Peter and John went to pray. They met a layman on the way and he stuck out his palm. He asked for an alm and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have given by thee in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And what happened? He went walking and leaping and what? Praising God. There's a couple of us here that know that. And he just, and so you can imagine a layman getting up and walking, a guy who had been in the temple complex day after day after day, and the thousands of people have given him their pennies so that he could live. But now he's walking, he's running, he's praising God, and everybody came running to that scene. And they're just amazed. So the backdrop of this sermon is that boy being healed completely. And it brings a commotion. So next thing you know, he starts preaching. In verse 11, let me summarize the next few verses. In verse 11, he says, you Israelites, here's what you did. You handed Jesus to Pilate. 
You gave up Jesus so you could, what? You could, you could make Pilate happy? Is that what you did? And, verse 14, you traded him, that's Jesus, for a murderer. Remember that? Give us Barabbas. You take Jesus. So they gave up Jesus for Barabbas. Also, they denied the Holy One of Israel, the anointed Messiah that was declared the Messiah <clears throat> through all of his teachings, through all the fulfilled prophecies, through all of the miracles, and, it's, and they gave him up. Also, verse 15 is a, an incredible statement. This one verse. You killed the source of life. What a play on words. You killed the one who started life, who is the very source of life. You know, John 1 talks about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being through Him. If it, didn't, if it came into being, He brought it into being. And it says this, in Him is life. The source of life is in the, and, and you killed Him. You witnessed the resurrection from the dead, verse 15 says. You saw this and you still remained ignorant. You chose to put your head in the sand and remain ignorant. And there's a problem with that. Acts chapter 17, verse 30 through 31 says this. Therefore God, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he appointed, that's Jesus, and he has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Here's what he's saying here. You've been ignorant, but no more. And you need to stop walking in your ignorance. Here's why. Because there's gonna come a day coming that there will be great, severe judgment on you and the whole world, but it hasn't happened yet. Now, many people misinterpret God's kindness. They misinterpret God's uh, long-suffering. Because if this is a timeline, and that's the end, and this is the beginning, since man sinned, God has been holding back his eternal judgment as time goes by. He's been holding it back. And there will be a moment that he releases it upon you, upon earth. But in the meantime, many people misinterpret that. Because judgment hasn't come now, they think it doesn't exist. And, and what Peter is saying here, do not misinterpret God's forbearance. Don't be ignorant. God is still holy. God is just. And that's what happened. And realize, this is an incredible uh, passage of Scripture that enters and brings to us a door of repentance. And that's why. Because we want to be close to God, not God's enemies. Is that what you want? I mean, do you want God for you or do you want God against you? Do you want God's judgment or do you want God's blessing? Do you want God's presence or do you want God's rejection? And so that's a question you have to answer. That's the foremost question, actually. What do you want with God? His loving hand or his backhand? That's, that's what's in front of us right here. And he, he's making this, in fact, repentance comes up here, but it's not a new subject. I mean, all of Israel knew, we know. In fact, repentance... It's something that we hear from the Old Testament prophets over and over and over again. In fact, it's, it's incredible. Uh, so a prophet, you know what a prophet is? A prophet is someone who foretells, in other words, predicts, and foretells, proclaims, and makes a call to repentance. And we see that in, this, in our passage. It says, and now, verse 17, and now, brothers, I know that you did these things in ignorance, just as your leaders did, 
but what God predicted through the mouths of the prophets. That's a prediction. Prophets would prophesy that his Messiah would suffer. That all through the Old Testament, there's gonna be a Messiah, Isaiah 53, he's gonna suffer, he's gonna raise from the dead. And sure enough, he did. And therefore repent and turn back that your sins may be wiped out so that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And he may send Jesus, whom he has been appointed Messiah for you. Heaven must welcome him. In other words, he went up into heaven, watch this, verse 21, uh, until the times of restoration of all things, which God spoke about the, by the mouth of the holy prophets from the very beginning. And then Moses, verse 22, listen to this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet that is like me. Moses was a prophet that mimicked his whole life was a preview of Jesus, right? His whole life was. In fact, look at the similarities. You should see this, the similarities between the ministry, the time, the prophecy of Moses and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the whole birth scene, uh, the, the, whole, the whole king scene, the whole scene of the Exodus, the Red Sea, the Jordan scene, going in 40 years and 40 days, uh, Moses 40 years, Jesus 40 days in the wilderness, then coming back, 12 twi tribes, 12 disciples, the whole baptism, the teaching, like the law. I mean, it just goes on and on and on, and Israel missed it. These are people that searched the scriptures constantly, and they still missed the sign that was right in front of them. And God is always speaking. Did you know that? God is speaking sometimes this way, sometimes that, according to Job, but he's always speaking and we miss these signs. Many times he's speaking to you and me by the virtue and the means of conviction. You do something wrong, there's a little bit of pain involved, hopefully. In fact, I talked to a doctor a long time ago. He made the comment. He said, as far as appendix go, it's good that your appendix hurt if you have an appendicitis attack. Because the time your appendix stop hurting it may mean that your appendix has already erupted and now all of this stuff is being released in your body. So if it's still hurting, that's good. Same thing about conviction. As long as when you're doing things and it still brings conviction, that's a good sign. Pity the person that continues to sin and feels no conviction at all. In fact, they brag about it and they celebrate it. That's a major problem in people's lives. So we have here Moses and Jesus being compared. And look at what Moses says, verse 22. God's going to send a prophet just like me. You should have seen the signs. You should have responded. And he says this, you must listen to him and everything he will say to you. And it will be that everyone who will not listen to, to that prophet, remember this is Moses, talking about one who is just like him that's coming, that's Jesus. Uh, you should listen to him. Because if you don't, it, you will be cut off. In other words, that's, that's a sign of judgment. And that is a problem. So we have these prophets of old. We also have the new prophets of the New Testament. John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, what? Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, this concept of the door that you open up and you walk through, this door of repentance and you walk to, you get to experience the kingdom on the other side. And that's what John the Baptist says. The ministry of John the Baptist was to make straight the way of the Lord. In other words, the path to the Lord, he made straight. How did he do it? By preaching and asking people, calling people to repent. And as we repent, it's a beeline to the presence of God. 
But then not only John the Baptist, but the Lord Jesus himself, who is the ultimate prophet. But he talked about repentance. Did you know that? Jesus talked about repentance. It was incredible. You know, it's interesting that people like to hear a message that's all about eat, drink, and be merry. We like to hear a message of how great our life is going to be, and it can be, but they miss the door of repentance. I don't imagine that Noah was walking up the stairs to the ark, and as he's about to get into the ark, says something like, uh, hey, something good is about to happen to you. I don't think he said that. I think he was still saying, repent and get in the ark. I don't think Jeremiah uh, was not put into a pit and just said, I'm okay and you're okay. I don't think he did that. I don't think Daniel was in the lion's den for telling people the truth. And then as he's in the lion's den, he just says, hey, just keep that positive thinking and it'll move mountains. I don't think he said that. I don't think John the Baptist, right before he got his head chopped off from Herod, I don't think he was saying, smile, Jesus loves you. He was saying, repent. He was. He went on and on. The two prophets in the tribulation, that we read about in the book of Revelation, um, he wasn't saying, hey, God's in heaven, he's on his throne, and everything's going to be okay with you. No, they were all saying, repent. It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible message all through Scripture. That's the word that they all used, and Jesus used it too. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Now remember, Jesus had been baptized. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days, and when he comes out, here's what he says. The Bible says, from then on, Jesus began to preach. Here's what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And here we have it again, right here in the book of Acts. The message continues, and it's a powerful message. Verse 19 says this, Therefore, repent and turn back, that your sins may be wiped out, and so that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Now, Many of you, if not all of you, I know you, you study hard and sometimes after a message, you'll come back and you'll, you'll grab commentaries and you'll read about this passage. And man, I, I thank you all for doing that. You're, you are blessed when you study that. And you know, and we're gonna use a word. So the, the Greek word for end, end times is eschaton, eschaton. And if you study the end times and you study eschatology, eschatology, the study of the end times. And when you look at a passage like this, there's an adjective that describes the whole passage and it's called eschatological, meaning when you read this passage, you should think in times, man. You should think that God sent his son, that those who repent, ultimately God is gonna bring a restoration that you will not believe and it's coming and it's coming soon. But there's also another point to this and it has to do with that boy who was just healed, standing there with, with Peter. And he's the example. And right while he's standing there and they're saying, how did he get healed? He's preaching this message and he says, you crucified Jesus. You handed him over, but you did it in ignorance. And here's what I'm offering you today. You can be forgiven of all of your sins and you can be restored. And it's like he's got a high definition in living color, an illustration of what it's like for the fullness of the kingdom to come in your life today. Because Jesus is king, he has a kingdom. And his kingdom is experienced by all of us as we trust Jesus, repent of sins, but it's here and it's also not yet. It's, it's, it's to be experienced, the fullness of the kingdom, but yet there's still 
a fullness, a full fruition, the fullness of the prophecies that are coming, that it's going to be in your face and so powerful, you won't be able to believe it. But those who walk by faith today can experience the same type of restoration that this lame boy just experienced. It's incredible. It's right here in God's word. So let's look at the repentance. Repentance is a specific doorway. If you're going to open the door to seasons of refreshing and to all that God wants for you and for me, it is very specific. Repentance isn't just feeling bad. Sometimes that can just be shame, blame, and guilt. But repentance has two aspects to it, primarily two aspects to it. And it's turning or changing. And here's the two aspects of the mind and the actions. That's what it is. It's a, it's a, it's a changing. It's, it's what the Greek word really implies. It's, a, it's, it's you're headed one way and then you turn around. You do not a 360, you do a 180. You turn around, you turn, you change. Two areas of your life, the way you think and the way you process and your actions. And have you ever done that? Have you ever changed your mind? Sure, you've changed your mind. What is it that changes your mind? Is it the following of the Lord? Or is it just selfishness? The Lord says that when we are to change our mind or we are to change our actions, it first starts with you have to admit your sin. You have to admit that the direction you're going or the thoughts or the emotions you love to harbor or like to use on other people, you have to turn them around. You, you, you become aware, you read the word, you're in the word, and it talks about certain things that we are not to do so that we can avoid them and learn to repent so we can experience the refreshing of the Lord. So changing our mind means I stop thinking like me and I start thinking like God. It means I stop thinking like the world and the course of the world and I start thinking of the kingdom of God. It, everybody can do this. Everyone in this room can do this. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how, how bad your, your thinking has been. You might have had a whole life of stinking thinking. You might have. And it might have been programmed in the way you were raised, in your nurturing, or maybe in your nature. It, it may be you got it from, from a neighbor, from a friend, or maybe from school, or maybe you're just watching media and, and you are the puppet of the puppeteer because we watch what happens just whatever Hollywood wants to throw out or Madison Avenue wants to throw out and we buy it hook, line, and sinker. And next thing you know, you discover that you find the Christian life a little awkward. And the reason why is because you've been thinking the wrong way. Been thinking it. So here's what we do. We start to agree with God in our mind. And then when I sin, which I do, it's to repent, I must agree with God. I must admit that I did it. I must admit that it's an assault on God more than anyone else. And actually, that actually it's, I hope that's a sobering thought to you and to where we say, look, my sin is, is not about me just getting caught or me trying to manage my sin, but my sin is an offense to the almighty God. Have you ever had that thought? If you've had that thought, it shows that the spirit is working and you're open to, to the spirit moving in your life. If you've never had that thought, it's either out of ignorance or unwillingness. But it's a thought we all have, should have, that, that my sin is an assault towards God. Also, we must know <clears throat> and be in alignment with God that my sin hurts me. It hurts you. 
that when the enemy says, go ahead and eat the apple, or whatever fruit it was, and he, he, he feeds them a lie, that they, must, they should have realized, no, if I do this, God said no, and if I do this, it will hurt me, and sure enough, it did in a horrible way. But also, that sin reveals a deeper problem. When we think of sin, we think of, oh, I told a lie, or uh, I, I, I said something I shouldn't have said, or I did something, and we think of the out manifestation of the sin, but you and I must internalize it. Sin points to a deeper problem in your life. In fact, let me, let me just put it this way. You, you know, most people have a favorite sin that you tend to fall into off and on. And, and, and the admonition would be, stop it. Don't do it again. But you can't. Isn't that interesting? If, if I were to say, hey, stop sinning completely, or you say that to me, I'd go, ugh, that's pretty tough. It's because it points to a deeper problem. And the deeper problem is deep in our soul. A deeper problem is the fact that we are far from God. The, the problem is, is that we're, we're basically hypocrites. I mean, we really are. We, we have what, what's happening on the outside and we try to manage that sin so nobody knows how bad it is on the inside. But Jesus said this, he said, what comes out of your mouth already was in your heart. That just because somebody doesn't see the sin that we commit doesn't mean it's not something bad within our heart. In fact, the reality is everybody does according to what they really believe. What you believe logically and consistently comes out in your life. It just does. Did anybody brush your teeth this morning? Please say yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, since we wear masks, you don't need to wear, brush your teeth quite as much. I'm just teasing. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I was talking to a pediatrician today and he's saying, you know what? We've had a, a light load just because a lot of the kids are being a lot more careful, washing more, wearing more masks, they're not passing as much flu and other things, but yet because of the masking going on and, and it dawned on me, we've been breathing other people's breath for a long, long time and didn't know it. At least I didn't. So we should brush our teeth. I don't know why I said that. It just came out. It just came out. It's just... What I was thinking came out. That's what happens. And so here, here's what Jesus says. He says that what, what comes out of the mouth was already in the heart. And so <clears throat> repentance is a true heart issue, mind issue of, of switching, of what you believe is the most valuable thing. And you begin to pursue it. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Paul was going around doing some incredible things. And the sorcerer wanted to buy the power of God. And that's detestable. And then he's calling him to repent. And he says, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, your, look at this, your heart's intent may be forgiven. See that? He had an action on the outside, which is trying to buy the power of God. And then he's called into account. He's called to repent. And he's called to repent of the intentions of the heart. And that's deep. Here's what he says. For I see you are a poison, you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by wickedness. Now, isn't that incredible? That the actions this guy had of wanting to buy the power of God, he says, wait, it's deeper than that. You've got intentions in your heart and it's poisonous. Now, now wouldn't you think that if he had more of the power of God, it would be a better thing? But what he was trying to do is he was trying to get good things 
by embezzling them or by using bad motives and bad ways. And that's really where a lot of our sins come from. We, we want good to happen to ourselves. That's why we sin. But we go about it our own way instead of God's way. So it's issue. It's an issue of faith and it's a problem. It's a big problem. But also sin, you agree with it. It reveals a deeper problem. But also uh, when you sin, you need to say, I started a ripple effect that has consequences. Sin has consequences. Sin doesn't just hurt you and hurt me, but sin, when I sin, sin hurts me and it hurts those around me. And so we need to repent. We need to repent. We need to have a change of mind. We need to have a change of action. But repentance is a special doorway that leads to everything good in life. Repentance isn't just feeling bad about things we've done. Repentance, although I, I do think that can be a part of it, repentance isn't just great depths of remorse to where we cry and weep that, that might be part of it. But repentance is fantastic. When you open that door of repentance, if you be so brave, if you be so bold, God's presence is protected by a certain level of pain. If God's inner circle of intimates is here. The ring before you get into the presence of God is a ring of pain. Speaking in four chair language, those of us who study the four chairs, someone who's a seeker, someone who gets saved, someone that's growing, and chair three before you move into chair four has been known, and you've heard us teach this, is a chair of relative suffering. And part of that suffering is the conviction of sin to where you're willing to give up self and sin and you're ready to move deeper into a presence of the Lord. And that is for every single person here. And I want to tell you how easily it's done. It's so easy that everybody can do it. And it's a specific doorway <clears throat> that leads to everything good. Let me give you the motivation first. First, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you choose to repent of sin, say, look, I'm a sinner, I fall short, things in me aren't good, <clears throat> I want to be saved, I want to be rescued from my sin, then here's what happens, you repent, you say that. And your relationship with God changes, completely changes. <clears throat> Verse 19 says, your sins are wiped away. Now remember those dudes that turned over Jesus, killed the source of life, asked for Barabbas, did all that, Jesus says, you can be saved. I mean, even people like that. In fact, there isn't anyone that can't be saved, can't have their sins completely restored, but also you're experience, you experience full restoration. You experience full restoration. I mean, you, you are restored. Uh, <clears throat> so as it turns out is all the control you try to amass in your life to control things, really has a base of fear because you're afraid of certain things. So you try to control all things. But yet when you are restored to the Lord, he gets rid of all the fear in your life and you stop feeling the need and the compulsion to control everything around you. Those that feel like they have a shame because of maybe some type of abuse in the past, when you repent of sins and you come into the presence of God, there is a restoration that lifts you up and it shows you that you're a child of God, you're a daughter of God, you're the son of God, and everything changes. That's what we're talking about, restoration. It's not just restoring you 
to your wishful thinking of who you are. It's changing you and restoring you to you the very image of God in its full capacity inside of you. It's bringing us back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the day in the presence of God and his voice and blessings were upon them and everything was fantastic. That's what we're talking about, restoration. King David talked about it when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. When you repent, there is a rebooting of your operating system that reunites you and brings you in alignment with the Lord God Almighty so that he can speak to you and your application runs fantastic. When I was in sixth grade, I went to a vacation Bible school and I remember on the side of the pulpit, they had a small picture of Jesus knocking on a door and it showed that there was no handle on his side, that the handle was on the other side. Jesus has already done everything he's gonna do for you and for me. All that we need to do is we need to take the handle, turn it, and walk through the door of repentance. And repentance is basically saying, Jesus, no more of me, I want all of you. And the Bible says he will come in, and this is a metaphor, he will eat with you. He will love you. He will restore you. He will walk with you. He will change you. And the manifestation of the kingdom will be upon you. Thank you for listening to today's message from Pastor Mac Roller at Glen Meadows Baptist Church, where we exist to make disciples who make disciples by living life together. If you are blessed by today's message, we encourage you to go to our website at gmbc.org to check out previous sermons, leadership podcasts, upcoming events, and find out how you and your family can get connected. We can't wait to do life with you.